in God. This testing of our confidence, our faith in God, what does it produce? It produces steadfastness. Specifically, it, it produces persevering faith. When you meet that person, that person that you say, you know what, they have faith in God that seems to be wrinkle-free, unshakable faith. When you meet that person that re- despite all odds, they're going, walking through so much difficulty, but yet they maintain this view of God that he is good and that he is worthy of their worship, worthy of praise. You've encountered a person who's been tested in their faith. Because we don't really know what we actually believe until what we claim to believe is tested. Greg Laurie, um, he's a a popular uh, pastor. He was even made even more popular by the movie Jesus Revolution that it came out not too long ago. And Greg Laurie lost his oldest son in a car accident. And out of that, he, he has this statement that says, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And Jesus leveraged this idea, this concept, this understanding with his disciples. And Jesus created these pivotal circumstances where he would help them to test their faith, to give them opportunities to push up against what they thought was impossible, what they thought was difficult to endure as an opportunity to test them and get them ready. In fact, last week we, uh, we looked at this um, as they were standing there waiting for the crowds to be dismissed so they could go get some food. They were there standing in front of 5,000 people and said they're hungry. And Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. He was creating these opportunities for them to to push into, to press into their faith that he would be able to give all the power and the answer for these things. Then toward the end of his ministry, he looks to Peter, he talks to Peter, he says, hey, listen, um, Peter, your faith, (laughs) your faith is about to be tested big time. So he said this to Peter, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. And at this, Peter, he's offended. He responded, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death because Peter truly thought that what he had, that faith he had grown, that he was ready. That no matter what came his way, he was ready. But his faith hadn't truly been tested yet. But it was tested that very evening. And he failed. 
It was a pop quiz. He wasn't ready. Peter denied knowing Jesus to a 13-year-old girl. He denied knowing Jesus three times. And then he watched Jesus be crucified. And he runs away. But even after that, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus restores Peter. And he puts him in charge of the whole operation. About two months later, about two months later, Peter and John are at the temple and they walk by this man who had been uh, crippled from birth. They said, listen, we don't have anything. You know, they pull their pockets out and said, we don't have money, but in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this crippled man was healed. And this is outside the temple. It caused a huge disturbance. And they were thrown in jail. They were thrown in jail for what was going on because they caused a disturbance. So the next morning, they stand before the high priest, the same ones who sent Jesus to Pilate, the very same high priest. They stood before them and they asked Peter and John, by what power or by what name did you do this? They were giving them an opportunity. Guys, you don't want to go down this road. You remember what happened to the guy, that Nazarene that you were following? Let me do you a favor. Let me give you an out. They said, by what power? Why do you want to claim this? I mean, really, this is your only out. They were asking them if they were willing to publicly be identified with Jesus. Now, I've never been in front of a high priest, but I know that there are times in my life where I've come straight up against an opportunity to either deny or acknowledge my faith in Jesus. Have you ever been there? This was their opportunity, though, to get out of jail. But instead, Peter, you know what he does? He signs his own death warrant. And he says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who, by the way, you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, that man, Jesus. You remember that name now? Okay, yeah, Jesus, by that name. This crippled man is standing before you. Well, and when the high priest saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they took note. They recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Tested faith is how you discover if you have real faith. Peter and John then are set free. They're set free and they go and they have a prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting with other believers, do you know what they ask for? They prayed for boldness because they were so confident in God. 
unforeseen circumstances can be pivotal in our faith. They'll either move us toward faith or away. They can solidify or they can undermine our faith. So what is it then that makes a difference? I think there are three things that make a difference when we're in these circumstances. It's what we believe, who we listen to, and how we frame it. What we believe, who we listen to, and how we frame it. Because people who lose faith due to a change in fortune generally have a defective or flawed faith to begin with. What we believe is vital. This is the what. What we believe is important. And I will tell you, hands down, the most important part of your belief is that it is Jesus-centered faith. It's not based on tradition. It's not based on experience. It's not based on whether you have the faith of your family. It's that Jesus is the center of your faith, that it's based on the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And it's in Jesus' resurrection that we have our own hope in the resurrection, that it's through Jesus that our sin has been forgiven. And salvation is found nowhere else. It's not found in the church you go to. It's not found in the family you come from. It's not found there. We need to have Jesus-centered faith. Otherwise, otherwise, here's what happens. We assume what's not true, and we claim what's not promised. We assume that we are okay, and we claim a salvation that we have not received. So what you believe, it matters. The next thing, the next thing is you have to have the right people around you. You have to, have to know who you listen to. If you don't have the right people around you, especially when things are going wrong, especially when you're in difficulty, pain, suffering, um, you're going to have people that mean well, but they contextualize the suffering and draw the wrong conclusion. In John chapter 9, we see the 12 see a blind young man, and they're, and they're walking along, and they, and they say, Jesus, who is it? Who is it that sinned? Who is it that sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him? Was it his parents? What, I mean, what happened here? Who, who sinned? And Jesus responds to them. He says, it was not the man It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was so that God would be glorified. So Jesus, in that moment, reframes the whole scene for them. And that leads us to this, how we frame pain, suffering, good, bad, our human experience matters. 
do you frame everything in your life through the lens of redemption in Christ? And those are the three things that generally make the difference between difficulties that draw us away from faith, difficulties that undermine and challenge our faith, and those difficulties that lead us to. Because disruption, pain, and suffering They're unavoidable. And sometimes, depending on where you are in life, it feels like more of the rule, that pain and suffering, disappointment, that that it's just the rule and it's not the exception. You're, You're praying for a sunny day and you don't get it. But suffering tests our faith. And it has the potential also to break our faith. But when we view pain and suffering through the proper lens, when we view it through in the right way, it has the potential to strengthen, to grow our faith. So why don't we learn to live like that? Why don't we learn to live with a faith that grows regardless of the things that come when the waves come and they crash? Why don't we learn to have faith that says, I trust you, I believe in you. I think we should learn to pray. Lord, let me see you the way that you see. And help me to see your hand in this. When we endure those things, Lord, let me see the way that you see and let me, let me see your hand in this. Because if we can spot God in it, we're, we're so likely to maintain our faith through it. So on the eve of the three days that would basically reduce the faith of the disciples to ashes, Jesus says to them, I've said these things to you, that you may have peace. Jesus says, all these things that I've shown you, all this stuff that I've taught you, every bit of it, if you will continue to see the world the way that I see it, if you will continue to see every opportunity the way that I taught you to see it, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have peace. But in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have trouble. In other words, the God who does not allow bad things to happen does not exist. But take heart. Have faith in me. Have trust in me. Follow me. Learn to lean in to me. Take heart because I've overcome the world. And this world, this world is broken. But your heavenly father is faithful. And those closest to the action, those the ones that were right there, the ones that followed in the footsteps of Jesus, they confirmed 
that, and, 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 there, and there are people around you that will confirm this as well. In the midst of their trouble, in the midst of the pain, the suffering, the things they don't understand, their faith is what has sustained them. And after it's all over, after the, the smoke is cleared in the aftermath, their faith is bigger, it's stronger, it's bolder. And of the things that God uses to grow our faith, pivotal circumstances, they're not the ones that we choose. Oftentimes they choose us. And when it does, because of Jesus, who did not avoid suffering. Because of Jesus' example, he chose pain and suffering. We can continue to know, to continue to believe, knowing that our faith is not in vain. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I believe that God is most honored when we say, I have an, I'm going to trust you, God, any way kind of faith. And for the rest of your life, the five things that we've discussed over these past five weeks will intersect with your faith and they will potentially grow your faith. Practical teaching, practical application of the scripture that leads to action in our life. Personal discipline, learning to put God first in every area of our life. Even the ones that you don't think that people see. Providential relationships that God places people the right place, right time, right reason purposeful ministry, stepping out and saying, God, all I know how to do is walk and get out of a boat. And God says, come follow me. Pivotal circumstances. When things seem at their worst, will your faith endure? Because you know the God who walked down and placed himself on a cross so that you could have life eternal. These five things grow strength and they strengthen your faith, your confidence in God. When we choose to exercise our faith with intention and purpose, we will find that God will meet us there and he will grow and strengthen our faith.